Hi everyone. This week we spoke to Lewis Baxter, a mental health advocate and founder of Blurred Lines. Lewis speaks about his work with Blurred Lines, his experiences with depression and really candidly about suicide. If you're uncomfortable with people talking about suicide, then it may be best to skip this episode and call an organisation like Samaritans on 116123. As ever, if you enjoy the episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. Hi Lewis, how are you? Excellent, yes, I'm very well, thank you. Um, so just to start with, we normally ask about what people's personal and professional experience within the kind of mental health field is. Yeah, so I think for me, my, my journey started quite a few years ago um, when I was about 16, 17. I had just done my GCSEs, I'd done very well with them as well, and was starting life in a new sixth form college in I think that was September 2015 I just started life at sixth form I started on a two-year course of A-levels and it was sort of from that moment in September 15 that things weren't as they were um, months prior I wasn't feeling myself and depression although I didn't know it at the time was controlling every part of my life um, and I think with depression as well, it's it's at the time there was not much talking about mental health. I know it's improved a lot over the last few years and people are making great strides in improving mental health awareness and provision, which is absolutely fantastic. But at the time, I think there was a lot more of a stigma about mental health in young males specifically. And I think for many months with depression, living with that and not knowing that I had depression was, was really challenging. And it was only in sort of January, February 2016 that I started to realise actually that this was really bad, that it was controlling every part of my life. I, I wasn't going into sixth form at all. Um, my attendance was, attendance was absolutely shocking. And um, it started having phys- physical manifestations as well and starting to affect my eating patterns and my sleeping patterns and not leaving the house but for months and weeks and months on end actually and in March 2016 after months of sort of challenges with with the depression and not speaking up um, I thought that the best thing to do was would 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 be to take my own life and sort of the pain that I've gone through for all those months and, and the suffering in silence um, with the sleepless nights and the, the losing friendships because of them thinking there's something wrong with you you're not right you're not fitting in um and eventually like i say in march 2016 i thought it's best if i end it all wow um so when i suppose we'll touch on the other stuff a bit later but when did you um when can you pinpoint a time when you think when you think it kind of started to go downhill a bit for you or or was it kind of a very gradual process yeah i think i think it was i think First of all, the, the sixth form I was at, um, it, it was a school I'd been at for five years and um, I loved that school and I have so many fond memories, but I just didn't fit in in that sixth form setting. And I think straight away from that September 
that environment wasn't right for me and I've tried to plow on and, and think everything will be okay and battle through and that was one of the constituent factors of, of the depression but I think as well um, I think getting towards Christmas it was quite a lonely period I think Christmas was, was quite challenging didn't leave the house much at all didn't see friends and family I just about did Christmas day I think um, with family uh, and that was a, that was at a push and I think they my family just felt or he's growing up, it's hormonal changes perhaps, or um, he's just not, not fitting in at the sixth form. I don't think anyone thought actually there's some, something in, in the chemistry of the brain that's um, not quite right. And that, that's what depression is. It's just an imbalance of hormones. <clears throat> and it really did start to affect me. So in terms of pinpointing, I think there's many factors that led to um, the depression specifically. One being the sixth form and the surroundings and not fitting at, at that sixth form specifically. Another one was sort of loneliness and getting withdrawn from friends because of depression. And that constant low mood was allowing me to take myself away from them and also then taking themselves away from me because they didn't want to be around me. Um, and yeah, I think I think those are the, the two I'd, I'd focus on most. Yeah, and I think that's quite a, a classic thing is, is that one thing kind of feeds into the other thing in a very negative cycle so you said that you know the symptoms had, had probably already started but then because they started you became withdrawn which probably made the symptoms worse and then maybe your friends didn't know quite how to to be around you so you became more withdrawn or they became more withdrawn which all kind of feeds into into that kind of vicious circle really absolutely a vicious circle is the way i describe it all the time and it's depression for me, it's, it's the only mental health condition I've ever suffered from. And yes, I, I've been anxious every now and again, and, and I've had stress. But I think for me, diagnosed mental health issue, depression is the, is the only one. And it's very hard to describe. There's not one size fits all policy with, with depression or any mental health. And I think what, what impacted me and what were my trigger points are very different to what other people's trigger points might be. And, and like I said, it was the sixth form and those individual circumstances that led to my depression. If I was at another sixth form, perhaps, and I'm sure we'll touch upon the journey to recovery, but that maybe if I was at another sixth form and that environment was better for me, maybe I wouldn't have had the depression. So it's really hard to pinpoint precisely when I went downhill, and I did, there was, but it was a gradual thing, and lots of different reasons combined together made me in a very, very dark place for several months. Yeah, and, and you touched a little bit on it earlier, but... Can you describe how you kind of reached your your very lowest point and 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 what happened around that and and how you managed to to I suppose start your recovery from that? Yes, so I think for many months the the coping mechanism was taking myself away, withdrawing myself, and I, I took great comfort in that in the fact that I was you know on my own. I I'd got over the fact that no one likes me. I've got over the fact that I had no friends really, or had very minimal friends and didn't actually. Uh, sort of, what's the re, um, I can't think of the word. Uh, I didn't really sort of integrate with many people my own age at that time. So I was fine. I was accepting of that. And the same with the family and not going out much. I just became in this cocoon of depression and couldn't get out of it. But then also almost became quite happy and accepting in that depression. Just it was the norm for me. I was, that was my life and it had been for about six months. So one of the ways I used to cope with it was sort of taking myself on walks and I took great comfort in that as I say just being on my own not talking to anyone and every time I did this walk and it's, it's a walk I'm from the Ribble Valley which is um, near Blackburn 
in Lancaster. And there's a nice little rural walk that I used to take. Um, it's about one and a half miles. And I used to do it once or twice a week during the dark days of depression. And um, one night I thought, well, actually, this, this could be the way to end it all because I'm in peace. I, 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 I can't get out of this depression. There's no other way out of it. And for me, the, the way to get out of it would be to, to take my own life. And I think that's the point, that it was almost a decision that had been made for me over those months. It wasn't something that I thought um, made a rash decision. It was very much had been contemplated for several months. It had been thought through the walks that I took several times before, the feelings of depression sort of compounding for many months. It wasn't just an overnight thing. So I thought about the means. I thought about having that conviction to take my own life. And I was very much prepared to execute it. And that's on that one very quite cold night in March 2016. Um, I took a walk that I took many times before um, onto a bridge. And I essentially sort of climbed over the sort of high railings, not, not that high, um, but that's another issue. Um, and I sort of clambered over them and had my hands behind my back grabbing on um, to the railings. And for minutes, but it was, it was a lot longer, it felt like minutes, um, but it was for you know, a considerable amount of time. I, I couldn't tell you how long I was there for. Um, unfortunately, I was, I was talked down, I was reassured um by by people who who had seen me up there in that state and it is a state i'll call it a state because it's something i can't describe i can't remember being at that event very well because it was such a blur and almost my mind was taking the decision out of my own hands and that rationality that i have now um wasn't there and i was prepared to just just do whatever it takes to end end the suffering really um but that was the lowest point. And the day after that, I told my parents everything. Did you kind of go go blank when you were out there or, or can you, have you just filtered it out? Or or can you kind of describe what what was going through your head when you were, when you were on that bridge and what the, the person that found you said to you to, 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 to make you come down, I suppose? I think the first thing is, is the fact that I, I was, such a different person to what I am now um, and that's really hard to comprehend for me more than anyone else the fact that you do really suffered from that and and I asked myself I can't believe those years ago I even considered it but when you have depression and when depression controls all, all parts of your life and your thought processing and that rational part of your brain then of course these decisions seem to be made out, outside of your hands and outside of your comfort zone um, so, yeah, I can't remember too much of the exact details, but what I do remember is the importance of the person just being a, a listener and just listening to what I was saying, whatever I was saying. I can't know, I don't know the specific words, um, but I, whatever I was saying, I'm sure they listened and they did enough for me conscientiously to turn round, climb back over and walk back home and, and you know take that decision myself and that was the rational part was I remember going home and I remember getting into bed and I remember the first thing in the morning telling my parents so it wasn't just the fact that this person or people had almost transformed me from from making that bad decision I say bad decision it was a decision that I was prepared to make 
Um, you know, I'm not saying that it's a bad or good decision. I'm obviously so pleased and thankful that I am still here today, but I was very much prepared to do it. And that person listening to me not only um, helped me overcome it at that moment, but also the day after seek help from my family and tell them every single part of myself yeah that's that's really powerful so did uh, what 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 started so you you kind of the next day you kind of opened up to your parents and and what was their reaction did they kind of i suppose were they kind of expecting something like that could they did they see your kind of personality change and you becoming withdrawn or were they a bit shocked? To be, to be brutally specific, actually, I, I think what it was is that I went to school the next day. And this is the part where, where I do a lot of public speaking. I do a lot of to sharing my story. But often I don't have too long to, to speak about the specific examples. But actually, I went to school that day. I remember that. And I came back in the afternoon, early afternoon. Um, and it was at that moment I actually packed my bags upstairs. Um, I remember it vividly. My mum was sat downstairs in the lounge. And my dad was at work. And um, I was torn between making a stance of telling them directly or making a stance in leaving and starting a fresh life for myself. I did pack everything up um, and I left the door. And my mum asked me some very, very direct questions. And they were, it was essentially, where are you going? And then I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't reason. I couldn't reason. I couldn't give a comprehensive answers to where I was going, why I was going. And I had no plan. I was just, it was a cry for help. But often that's often unspoken with people who have depression, um, that, that a lot of people do run away and, and, and try and take their mind away from it all and have a fresh start. And that's what I was trying to do, but I didn't get away with it because fortunately my mum was there and it was at that moment, that trigger point that I broke down and she broke down and I told her everything because obviously a son threatening to walk out or any child for that matter, would raise questions with their parents. Um, and that's when it started. And the conversation was, was as plain as the conversation we're having now, just right from the beginning, telling everything to my parents, to my mum at the time, what happened and what's happened and why I'm feeling the way I did. And she was just there for me. And again, listened, listened to what I had to say. That seems like it was a positive start, but how, what, what support did you receive outside that kind of family and friend setting? Um, I suppose from a more kind of medical perspective. Yeah. So once I explained everything to my my parents, and they were there for me. We the day after we booked two appointments. We booked one appointment with the school. I'll touch upon that in a sec. We booked one appointment with um, the doctors, and I was with the doctor, my GP, for about twenty five minutes. Now we know sometimes we struggle to get appointments, and sometimes we struggle to have more than five or 10 minutes with a GP, but I can't thank my GP enough for having that time to listen. 25 minutes possibly wasn't long enough, but it wasn't in and out. It wasn't a rush conversation. And we got all the cards on the table in terms of not only why I was feeling the way I was, but also what various options there were for me. Now, to put it bluntly, there weren't many options um, for young people because our CAMS services are overstretched and underfunded. But also, there's a lot more people sort of trying to access support now. And I found that, you know, there was, there was a waiting list on NHS support. Fortunately, I managed to find a great organisation, which were a charity called Child Action Northwest. 
one of the, the biggest mental health and sort of family support charities in the northwest of England. And I had, I think it was between eight and 12 sessions with a lady from that uh, organization. Um, I'll be honest, the first two sessions were really difficult. I didn't leave the car. I refused to leave the car and sort of, um, yeah, you can sort of imagine me cowering in the car and just refusing to access any support and help because I thought, no, I'm fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I just can deal with this my way. But actually, as the weeks went by, having CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, um, was quite interesting because it was almost quite Lewis-centered. So what do you think you can do? What positive practices do you think you can implement to improve your mental health state? And we started talking. And every week I used to try new things, whether it would be go a walk, whether it would be start a club. I helped out with my uncle's football team, just random little things to help me and trying different parts of my brain and getting them working like they, they never had done before. And that CBT, along with this sort of conventional therapy, counselling and um, person-centred counselling, that together really did start getting me in the front foot and overcoming the mental health. So that was the, the therapy side and the counselling and the uh, following the, the fantastic support of my GP. Um, but then I appreciate sometimes, you know, people sometimes don't have that support. Um, and sometimes people don't have the family support. And I was very, very lucky to have both of that. Yeah. So was, uh, was, was medicine never, never an option or was, was that something that wasn't discussed? Yeah. So I, I'm, I've said lots of things on antidepressants in my time as a mental health advocate. Now, um, I wasn't presented with the option at that moment. Um, but after a few weeks of the CBT, um, I, I did go back and had a checkup with my, my GP and said, we had that conversation of, of an antidepressant, one of the, the classic leading brands of antidepressants. I call it brand, but you know you know the point. One of the, the, the most common types of antidepressants. I was on that for quite a while, probably for about 18 months um, until I was about 18, uh, 18 and a half. So I was on them for quite a long time, antidepressants, which bring a whole host of sort of um, side effects, both positives and negatives. Um, but because they made me tired, for example, so I used to get quite nice uh, night sleep, which was always good. Um, so yeah, in terms of medicine, I'm I'm pro-choice. I'm very much if an individual and a GP both believe that's the most appropriate form of support, and medicine's the way forward, then I support that decision. Yeah, I think I've I've had a pretty positive experience with them, and I think I was just incredibly lucky that the first one that I went on. Um, we had to play around with the dosage a bit but uh, it, it worked for me and I think one of the reasons one of the really good things about it was that it kind of flattened the mood enough to let me do other things that kind of like we said as opposed to the vicious cycle it kind of fed an actually a positive cycle so having them like made the mood better which meant I could do the other things which which helped me to get better um, but then I also I also kind of feel that a lot of the time they're um, they're prescribed because there's no other option because people spend too long on waiting times to get treatment like CBT or talking therapies and it's just a bit of a um, not a stopgap but it kind of is a bit of a plaster rather than treating the root cause I don't know how you how you feel about it 
Yeah, I mean, the, the point I made about antidepressants, and if the choice is there and the doctor and they're acting in their professional manner, and that's the important point, if the doctor genuinely believes, as with all the training that they've had, that that patient, um, with his consent, should have the antidepressants, then I think that's a, an appropriate, op appropriate option. GPs are trained, um, whether it's they're trained well enough in mental health specific support is another question, but they're trained well enough to treat their patients um, in terms of the mental health. But I think you're right, I think there's definitely been instances with people who have had mental health issues, who have almost, yes, been in a ward or a borough or a county that has high waiting lists, and I'm sure they will have been given the option of antidepressants and put on them as almost a plaster is, as you say in your words, um, I, I agree with that. But I think what we need to do is not criticise antidepressants because I think as you say and I say, they, they, they work for us eventually once you mess around with the dosages and, and get that right. Um, but I think we need to look at the solutions in terms of supporting CAM services and also independent charities and small charities across the country who, although people don't know about it, do fantastic work. Um, Child Action Northwest, an example from, from my life, a charity that supported me, um, not much external funding. Um, they have to rely on donations and sponsorship from businesses. And there's lots of other charities out there with much smaller um, reach and much smaller sort of staffing who do the counselling and the CBT and the talking therapies on a daily basis. So I think there needs to be more awareness of the various options from CAMS and NHS mental health support, which we all know, yes, is underfunded and hopefully the pledges that the government has made for increased funding will pay off. Secondly, we need to look at um, antidepressants and do we need to give them out in, in certain circumstances? So more research into that. But thirdly, promoting mental health charities a lot more who do the counselling and do the CBT to help people. Yeah, and that that brings us quite nicely onto onto blurred lines um and yeah so i said it brings us quite nicely but people won't know what it might not know what it is what they do and, and why you kind of started it yeah so um we are the blurred line group which is uh, an organization that was set up uh, by myself and a few other passionate people um in terms of mental health in september 2018 um we we just literally thought of the idea in a coffee shop to host uh, an event during the day which was getting all these charities small independent charities and grassroots projects under one roof and then inviting people along members of the public to come along and basically um be signposted to various services see what services are available in their area in addition to cams cams were there on the day um but people were when they when they came were just in awe uh, and sort of shocked that all this support is out there but there's just a lack of awareness and a lack of support for these little charities who do fantastic work but don't get promoted enough so that was the key part of the day and during the day it was absolutely amazing our marketing seemed to work and um, we had 1500 people attend a small smallish venue in the ribble valley in lancashire which is a rural community and um, an interesting community in terms of demographics as well and that was fantastic seeing so many people there getting something out of that day. And I know personally several people who benefited from having that choice and getting support with the mental health. So we had that awareness style day. And then in the evening we had a fundraiser event. And the purpose of the fundraiser, quite simply, was to raise as much money as possible, have a good time 
and then distribute it to several charities after the event. And that's what we did. We raised seven and a half thousand pounds and we opened up an application process and we distributed it to nine mental health charities, local mental health charities in the Lancashire area to, to allow them to carry on doing the work that they do to increase their capacity to support a specific project that they're doing at the organization so that was fantastic and from what was a little idea is now transformed into a legal organization with a full board a full team working with me to implement our national vision so we recently launched in london in september 2019 so a year after our first event in rural ribble valley um, we hosted it a fantastic a communications company, a global communications company. We got over 50 people there during the day to launch our national vision. And our vision, essentially, we want to be the UK's first funding hub for local mental health charities and community projects. And that is providing sort of sustainable and easily accessible grants to these grassroots organisations, mental health projects and charities across the UK who struggle to access funding, who struggle to... Um, be able to provide for people the vulnerable people with mental health conditions and it's sort of building upon what we did last year and i'm just so excited to sort of get started and and raise money and help people across the country really brilliant that sounds absolutely amazing so have you had one particular success story with with a particular charity or one particular story that you could that you could point out as being a real highlight of it absolutely i think the the best thing about the Blurred Line Group is what we tell people is giving money to us. We don't keep the money. We donate and then distribute it to other charities and work with those charities on a one-to-one -one basis, providing them with mentorship and support. So I think definitely when we opened up the first grants to sort of rural charities, local charities in the Ribble Valley, and we had one charity called Field Nurse who support farmers um, on, obviously, farms across the UK and providing them with both physical and mental health checks. Now, I don't know the specific statistics, um, but I was sort of heartbroken to hear about the statistics in terms of farmers' suicide and um, the rural isolation that many farmers suffer from um, for various reasons and their families as well. And I really, you know, um, resonated with that charity. And Although the, the, the bid process was very independent and we had to um, you know, really assess each application that we got, that one stood out for the outcomes they were trying to reach. And they, with the money that we provided them, they managed to uh, buy some more equipment for a trailer. Um, so they now have two trailers to go out to farms and, and farm shows and stuff like that to talk and, and work with farmers. And um, that was a, a big chunk of their annual income. And that's the point, that's the part of the Blurring Group that I love, is we're not supporting necessarily the big national mental health charities who have millions of pounds worth of budgets for promotional marketing and advertising campaigns. And don't get me wrong, those charities do a fantastic work and I've done some work with them on a personal level. But what we're here to support is the small charities that we see out and about in our communities and providing them with the funding they need um, to do their work. That's really cool. So it's much more, I suppose these charities are much more targeted than the, than the bigger ones are. Yeah, what do you mean by targeted? As in, so you say the farmers one, they've got a much more, a much clearer, um, I suppose, audience that they're trying to address? 
Yeah, I think that's a, a lovely way of putting it. I think the, the most fundamental criteria that the Bloodline Group is uh, sort of working with is local grassroots projects, whether small or large. The point is that the project that they are running or the initiative that we support has to be local, has to, has a, has to have an end goal that's um, rooted in the community. So the one example that I gave with the farmers organization, farmers charity, yeah, that goal was very specific, supporting farmers. We supported another one um, that was a football team, Burnley FC in the community, who obviously a Premier League football club, but we supported their community arm, um, their foundation with funding to support a um, football team who support those with uh, mental and learning difficulties, which was fantastic. And we um, provided another charity with funding to help them increase their capacity and get people off the NHS waiting list and in for counselling with those. So, yeah, I think the big thing is for us next year in 2020 is we want to open up a series of grants that target specific things. So we could open up a grants process next year for farmers organisations. So we open up applications for charities like Field Nurse to apply for funding. Um, and their goal is, is, like I say, farming and isolation on farms. But we could also open another one for young people. So it's a young people's fund helping uh, people of school age with mental health difficulties, whether it be anxiety, um, stress, depression, whatever that may be. Or we might open another fund, which is an LGBT uh, fund which helps uh, those people that have struggled with their mental health due to um, gender identity issues or sexuality issues. And that is so exciting about our organisation that we are quite broad, but each of the grants we provide is so rooted in the community that we hope it will make some genuine good for the people with mental health conditions. Yeah, that's brilliant. And just to, to start to kind of wrap things up, you are you in your second year at Durham? Indeed, yeah, second year. So, yeah, it's a place we, we both know quite well. Um, how you said you're kind of, uh, you sort of pinpointed the start of your native spiral started when you moved to to a different high school. Mm-hmm. How have you found the, the transition of moving to university and have, have you accessed the support at Durham? Um, yeah, I mean... Personally, I'm, I'll, I'll be honest, the, you know, the, the university is absolutely fantastic. The, the, I do a law degree here and the, the law support, um, academic support is fantastic. And there is a counselling service as well. Um, look, I would I would love Durham University to, to put more money behind counselling service. Of course, I think any university student would want more support at their university um, for mental health. But in terms of the transition, um, it probably wasn't as seamless as I'd like. Um, I've had, you know, we all have sort of challenges, personal challenges in our life. And unfortunately, over the last um, 18 months or so, or sorry, 14 months I've been at Durham, I've had my, my own difficulties as well. Not mental health difficulties per se, but just general difficulties. And um, I suppose the transition for me to university hasn't been quite as seamless. I haven't enjoyed it as much as I'd have hoped. But what is important to realise, and if there's other students that are, are out there, and I try to talk to uni students about this, is that it's actually okay to not enjoy university sometimes. It's actually okay to not feel like you're fitting in in certain social groups or in certain things. And my challenge this year was, okay, Lewis, let's step outside the comfort zone and get involved in things. Um, practice what you preach almost. Tell, you're telling other people to get involved in extracurricular things and try new things out to um, broaden the horizons, I suppose. And that's what I've done. I've got back involved in my college football team this year, which is 
is great for many different reasons. Um, I'm doing a lot of law sort of networking events and other extracurricular things in terms of law. And that's made it better for me. So, yeah, I think any university student can say, oh, their university is, is poor for mental health services and poor for mental health provision. I can't say that about Durham. They do, they do fantastic support for students. Um, yes, there could be more. Um, but uh, I've had access to it and uh, they've been great. Brilliant. And how do you look after your, your mental health at the moment? Do, are, you doing, are you still doing CBT or, or, or have you kind of transitioned into doing other things? I think the important thing of CBT and any person-centred counselling is you sort of begin to get sort of hints and tips of how you can support yourself on a day-to-day basis and what positive practices you can implement in your life to support yourself. And that's what I've done. Um, one of the things I learned at CBT was note-taking and diary, um, making a diary and a timetable for things. And the diary doesn't have to be to every five minutes because obviously that's not plausible at all. But what do you want to achieve on that day? Setting some smart targets, uh, morning, afternoon and evening, factoring in all your extracurricular things as well. So that's what I do to look after myself. It's a lot of goal setting and and monitoring my progress in terms of what I've achieved. Some days I don't do anything um, and I've got a list of things to do the next day. But it's just, you've got to be okay with that. And, you know, university is tough. A law degree is tough. I'm not going to sit here and say, that it's a walk in the park, especially trying to juggle a lot of other things as well. Um, but it's just important, I think, to keep cool, um, to know where the support mechanisms are through university, through local charities, through the Samaritans on their free number that I know students have had to use when they've been in the crisis. And that's what those numbers are there for, giving people support. So, um, yeah, I'm doing good, though. That's the main thing. Good. It's good to hear. And how can we find out more about you personally and what you're doing and also also the work with your organization i'm hoping in terms of the organization that um well we have a website so www.theblurredlinegroup.org and you'll find us on facebook instagram linkedin twitter we like our social media and we're going to be doing a lot more of it over the coming months um, as we start working with businesses and the, the exciting part is in 2020 when we start opening up these grants for local charities and projects to access funding. We want to be working with as many organisations next year as we can, providing them funding. So really excited about that. Um, so people can find out more about it on, on our socials and on the website. And me personally, I've got, I've got my own social media, Lewis Alexander Baxter. Again, just uh, type it in. I'm sure you'll find something, some rubbish I've tweeted or uh, post i put on instagram i'm sure you'll find that and you might be vaguely entertained by it brilliant lewis that's been really fascinating and congratulations on all the great work you're doing yeah thank you that means a lot cheers harry thank you very much As ever, although the things Lewis and I talked about we may find helpful, we're not trained medical experts. If you're struggling, please contact your local GP or call an organisation like Samaritans on 116 123.